You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. Over the past two weeks, uh, one of the things that I've said as we've been working our way into this message is that far too often in life, we find that there are, there's stuff. There are objects and tasks and duties and responsibilities and pleasures that um, they're battling inside of us. There's a war that goes on inside of us because of these tasks and duties and responsibilities and pleasures. And um, they're, they're battling on the inside of us and they're battling for the love and the loyalty and the worship uh, that belongs to the one true God. So they're trying to distract us and far too often they're very successful that they're saying, hey, look at me, serve me, don't serve the one true God. And they offer this great, um, seemingly great payoff if you'll, if you'll serve them. Well, the unfortunate consequence uh, of this battle uh, is distraction. It's what I'm talking about, distraction. And um, uh, if we're not careful in this distraction, we find ourselves worshiping created things uh, rather than the creator of all things. Um, and whether we want to admit it or not, this is idolatry. Um, it, it's important that we, we, we understand that idolatry is um, it's not something that's just pagan. It, it's not something that's just primitive. Idolatry is not just about bowing down to a statue that someone has hammered out. Uh, idolatry is very real. It's very present today. And because of the distraction of idolatry, um, it causes us to have to deal with one of the greatest challenges of our lives. And that challenge is the challenge to continuously keep God first. And that's why we have to continually wrestle with, walk through, uh, ask ourselves the question, who or what is my God. Who am I going to serve? What am I going to serve? We have to continually wrestle with that question. Well, um, it would appear that this is not a question that the uh, famous Irish um, playwright and uh, dramatist, uh, poet, critic, Oscar Wilde uh, ever at least consciously wrestled with. Um, by default of his lifestyle, he made a choice. He may not have thought he made a choice, but he made a choice, uh, and his choice was the God of pleasure. Um, Oscar Wilde uh, was obsessed with art, but Oscar Wilde was more obsessed with, with pleasure. In fact, he would berate anyone whom he thought was trying to rob him of his right to experience all that was feel good, all that was, that was pleasurable, all, whatever he wanted to do. He, he didn't want anyone to tell him that he couldn't experience that. Basically, he lived a life without uh, moral boundaries or, or, or limitations. Uh, I think it would be easy to say that the theme song of Oscar Wilde's life was I Did It My Way. Um, this, this lifestyle of pleasure that he chose didn't pay off very well for him. He died at age 46 because of this indulgent lifestyle. Um, his, his, the philosophy of life uh, can be found in some of the quotes that Oscar Wilde is famous for, and I'd like to read some of those to you. Oscar Wilde said things like, Pleasure 
is the only thing one should live for. He said, love? What is love? It's nothing. It's just a word. It doesn't exist. Only pleasure is important. He said, it's better to regret a sin than regret the loss of a pleasure. He said, what consoles nowadays is not repentance, but pleasure. Repentance is quite out of date. And then there's one other quote that really uh, reveals the God who uh, won the battle in his life. He said, I don't regret for one single moment having lived for pleasure. That was his philosophy of life. Now, I think it's interesting when you take uh, the words of Oscar Wilde and you compare them to the words of King Solomon. We know King Solomon was... Uh, an extravagantly wealthy man. He was wealthy in material things, um, but he was also wealthy in great wisdom. Um, and uh, when we read uh, what we now know as Ecclesiastes, which he wrote, um, I, want you to, uh, I want you to just follow along as I read uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. He said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also pre proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well as the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So King Solomon had all of this wealth. He had all the resource to go after anything he wanted. He went after laughter. He went after wine and the taste and the feeling that it brings. He, he experienced the, uh, the pride of achievement that comes with building a great empire. He experienced sensual gratification. He experienced pros uh, uh, prosperity. But in the end, he concluded that it was empty. It was meaningless. No matter what he had acquired in terms of pleasure, it, it, it didn't pay off. A at the end of the day, he recognized that the pursuit of pleasure promises much, but it delivers very little, if anything, in the end. And what it does deliver is temporary. How much have we found that to be true in our lives when we pursue pleasure? Um, Oscar Wilde and King Solomon were battling the same God, the God of pleasure, and each came, unfortunately, to a different conclusion. Um, uh, and, and 
one said it's everything, pleasure is everything, while the other says in the end it, it's, it's meaningless, it's nothing. So in case you haven't figured out, the, the, the God that we want to confront today is the God of pleasure. Um, and uh, as, we, as we begin to um, think about the God of pleasure, let me just say this, if you're wondering if I'm ready, getting ready to go on a rant against pleasure, if I'm getting ready to tell you to run from, don't, don't enjoy life, don't have pleasure, don't do it at whatever the cost, that, that's not the case. That, that's not the case. In fact, I would say pleasure is good. Pleasure is, is a gift from God. In Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Listen to this, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So God is not very obviously trying to withhold pleasure from us. That's not the point. But the Bible also shows, it reveals the dark side of pleasure. I want you to listen as I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It sounds like we're in the last days now, doesn't it? I mean, that's a great description of, yeah, think about that. Uh, what's, what's the point? Uh, we are not to elevate our pursuit of pleasure above our pursuit of the one true God. And until we have the understanding that we were made for God, and until God becomes our greatest pleasure, all other pleasures will lead to emptiness. And this was Solomon's conclusion. He had everything. He had the resource to have everything, but in the end, it did not pay off. Listen, uh, this is what we've got to understand. Good things, even good things that God has given for our own enjoyment and pleasure can become gods in our lives if we allow them, if that becomes uh, our pursuit. Um, in Amos chapter 6, uh, we see a vivid picture of the God of pleasure at work in the children of Israel. I want to read this passage to you. I'm not going to have you turn there because I actually want to read it to you from the message version. I just like the way that it states it. So uh, just listen as I read. It says, uh, Woe to you who think you live on easy street in Zion. You assume you're at the top of the heap, voted the number one best place to live. Well, wake up and look around. Get off your pedestal. Take a look at Kalna. Go and visit Great Hamath. Look in on Gath of the Philistines. Doesn't that take you off your high horse? Compared to them, you're not much, are you? Woe to you who are rushing headlong to disaster. Catastrophe is just around the corner. Listen to this. Woe to those who live in luxury and expect everyone else to serve them. Woe to those who live only for today, indifferent to the fate of others. Woe to the playboys and the playgirls who think life is a party held just for them. Woe to those addicted to feeling good, life without pain. Those obsessed with looking good, life without wrinkles. They could care less about their country going to ruin. But here's what's really coming. A forced march into exile. 
they'll leave the country whining a ragtag bunch of good-for-nothings. What in the world is going on in Amos chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, or Amos 6, 1 through 6? Amos is confronting the children of Israel uh, because of their pursuit of pleasure. They've been living with an indulgent lust for comfort and for luxury. And their quest for pleasure has lulled them into complacency. And in their complacency, they have uh, walked away from their pursuit uh, of God. They, they've fallen for the deceit uh, of, of pleasure. And, and, and this is what we must understand. You and I, as a people, are not... Um, we're not protected from that deceit. We're not immune, I guess is the best way to say it. We're not immune from uh, the deceit of pleasure. Pleasure in itself isn't bad. Well, I want you to hear me say that again. Pleasure in itself isn't bad. But when chasing after pleasure is what we pour all of our emotional and our mental and our physical efforts into then we're distracted from our rightful pursuit of God and pleasure becomes our God. Um, there are many gods who serve as an ally to pleasure. And today we're going to talk about three of those. Um, I'm going to tell you what those three are in just a moment. And uh, honestly, when I um, tell you what they are, you might say, what do you mean getting all up in my business today? What's this all about? Um, uh, don't shoot the messenger. Uh, the message applies to me uh, just as much as it does to you. It's, it's a message for all of us. You might be surprised by at least one of these, uh, one of these uh, gods that we're going to talk about. So let me tell you what they are, and, and then and then we're going to talk about them. So three gods we want to talk about today that we want to confront. We want to confront the god of food. That hits a little close to home for me. We want to we uh, confront the God of sex. And yes, we're going to talk about sex in church just a little bit. Don't blush. And we're going to talk about the God of entertainment, which I think hits home for all of us. So let me talk about these three. Let me talk first uh, about the God of food. And let me just begin by saying I love food. You can tell that by looking at me. I love food. I love to eat. And I confess to you that this is one of the gods who is constantly battling inside of me. I love cookies. I love cookies. I love cookies. My wife could open up a pack of Oreos and she would simply take two Oreos and nibble on them. And in the same amount of time, I've eaten eight, ten, or the whole pack. It's just, it, yeah, you know, I can eat cookie dough, cookie dough ice cream. I just, I love, well, here's the bottom line, I love sugar. And so this is, this is a God I think that I'm constantly battling with, but I don't think I'm by myself, right? You're chuckling about cookies because you love cookies too. Um, in the animated movie Over the Hedge, R.J. the raccoon and a group of his animal friends decided to move from the city uh, to the suburbs. And once R.J. was there, he, he made a discovery about humans. And his discovery was that humans are bottomless pits for food. Um, uh, he, 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 he actually discovered that while animals eat to live, humans live to eat. He's got us down pretty well, doesn't he? Um, he offers to share with the other animals what he's learned. So they climb up on the heads and they begin to peer into the home of one of the humans. And as they're watching, he begins to point out some things. He says, so, you know, the mouth is referred to as a pie hole. 
he, he said that um, uh, people, the humans, are referred to as couch potatoes. And um, their telephones are used to summon food. They could just pick up the phone and suddenly there's a pizza delivery person there with the pizza just, just, just moments later. Uh, and then they peek in at the family dinner table and he says, that's the altar where they worship food. But then he points to another room just beside it and there's a treadmill and he said, that's what they use to relieve their guilt so they can eat more. <laughs> Don't you think he's got us down pretty well? I mean, really, really well. Um, let me say this, and I'm glad this is true. Food is a gift from God. It, it, it really is. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 says, go eat your food with gladness. Food is good. Eating is good. The problem is that every good gift can be twisted so that it lures us into allowing it to become our God and it pulls us away from our quest for food. Let me ask you, do you have certain foods that you refer to as your comfort food? If you've got a comfort food, what are some of your comfort foods? Chocolate chip cookies, yes. Ice cream, chocolate, just plain old chocolate. Huh? Biscuits and gravy. I was waiting for some of the southern, real southern comfort food to come out. I mean, fried chicken, yes. These are comfort foods. Um, let me ask you, have you ever found yourself at the end of a bad day? I'm talking a really bad day. Um, bad day at work, bad day at school, bad day at home, bad day wherever in general. And at the end of the day, you suddenly find yourself kind of in a coma with a spoon in your hand scraping the bottom of a container that not very long before that was filled with uh, mitten chip or Rocky Road ice cream. All because you had a bad day. That's the place that you, you, you went to. Um, how often, instead of turning to God, do we feed our souls with, with food as if our, stum our souls were growling stomachs? What's interesting about this is what does God tell us he is? He is our comforter. He's our comforter. And... And I realize it's easy to get caught up in, you know, I mean, because we like food. But I, I can tell you there are times where I can stress eat. Stressful time just <sighs> keeps on coming until I'm sick. And, and what I was looking for is comfort. I, 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 was, I was looking for comfort. But, but Scripture very clearly tells us that God is our comfort. He's our refuge in times of trouble. That he would be the one that we would always run to first and let him speak into the situation. Let him bring his comfort that is lasting and is temporary and that doesn't add up to pounds on the scale, right? God is our comfort. So the question I would ask all of us is, do we eat to live or do we live to eat? Is it possible that that food has become a God in our life? So enough about food. Let's, let's move on and talk about the God of sex. <laughs> what a transition. <laughs> um, it would be appropriate to begin by saying that um, sex is a gift from God. I think we have to realize that. Sex is a gift from God. Sex is good. Actually, sex was God's idea. Thank you, God. Um, sex is designed... 
to bring pleasure between a husband and a wife. Um, however, we have to realize there are two ways to, to view sex. There's a right way and there's a, there's a wrong way. And the right way is to realize that uh, sex enjoyed God's way within the confines of marriage creates and affirms a spiritual and intimate bond between a husband and wife. But when viewed the wrong way, then we have to recognize that sex outside of marriage in any way, fashion, or form is destructive. It, it, it's destructive. Um, God created sex as good and he created it in such a way that it brings pleasure but when something good becomes our God it actually loses its pleasure pleasure has a very unique trait the more we chase after it the less likely we are to catch it think about that the more we chase after it the less likely we are to, to catch it. The, the God of sex promises incredible satisfaction. But when sex is what we chase after, when sex is what we elevate above God, when sex becomes the object of our worship, it delivers the very opposite of what it promises. It delivers disappointment and shame and guilt and emptiness. And there's something that I want to add to this. I'm obviously talking about sex as God designed within the confines of marriage. But when sex is a God, Sex perverts, and it can be destructive within the confines of marriage, too. Listen, sex can bring destructive within the confines of marriage when it's the God that we worship. So, I think you have to examine yourself. Sex is good. Sex is God's idea. He designed it for pleasure between a husband and wife. Ask yourself the question, has sex become a God in my life? Let me talk about the third one. Let's talk about the God of entertainment. In our country, there are several cities that have been declared uh, entertainment capital of the world. Of course, of course, we have Las Vegas because of its nightlife, its shows. We have Los Angeles because of Hollywood and all the amusement parks that it has. And then there's New York specifically because of Broadway. Um, Despite these cities being declared as the entertainment capitals of the world, we do not now have to get on an airplane and fly somewhere to another city to experience the pleasure of entertainment. We have entertainment available to us 24 hours a day. We can be entertained by sports 24 hours a day. Uh, we can be entertained 24 hours a day by streaming and binge watching our favorite shows because of Netflix and, and Prime and Hulu and the, the, the uh, venues for streaming is growing every day. I just think about yesterday, a cloudy day, and um, I think that I probably watched several episodes of a particular show. You know, there was nothing else to do. And we can all easily fall into it. Um, we, we can be entertained through social media. It's, um, one study has determined that the uh, average person spends 705 hours a year on social media. Um, that same study concluded that uh, 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 the average guy by the time he's 21, has spent some 10,000 hours playing video games. 
Um, it's been, uh, uh, in that study, it was determined that uh, the average American spends about 2,735 hours a year watching TV. And this is just a sampling of the entertainment that is available to us. And do you realize how subtle the God of entertainment is? I mean, we're just watching TV. We're watching sports. But when it becomes what we elevate, when it becomes what we serve, when it becomes what we chase after, then there's a problem. Could it be that we're all suffering from entertainment anxiety? Because there's so much entertainment available to us. Just like food and sex, entertainment in itself is not bad, but it becomes a God when we chase after it, when it's what we live for, when, when we live to entertain ourselves. Entertainment is good. In fact, we need recreation to refuel our souls. But again, when it's our primary pursuit, then there's a problem. You know, there, there's so much. There's so much that we could say about the God of food and the God of sex and the God of entertainment and a host of other gods. There's just not enough time. But there's one thing that we conclude that we all, they all have in common. Most of the time, pleasure, the pleasures that we pursue are not bad. They're good. Think about that. They're, they're not bad. They're, they're good. But if we're not alert, we can allow the gifts that God has given us to become the gods that distract us from worshiping the one true God. These gods promise so much. They promise satisfaction. They rarely deliver on their promise. But not only do they promise a lot, but they demand a lot. These gods demand our attention. They want to be cared for. They want to be nurtured. They want your attention. Let me say it again. They want to be cared for in such a way that they become our care. And when, when these gods become our care, they rob us of the peace that we've sung about this morning. They, they take it away from us. And they really, they replace with anxiety. I mean, it's easy to get anxious because you missed an episode of your favorite program when you were binging because you fell asleep for a few minutes. You, you, they, they could just become, they, they, they require so much of us. And they can take us deeper and deeper and deeper. And they rob us of more and more and more. Our comfort can only come from God. Our peace can only come from God because he's the one true God. So this morning, uh, I want you to stand and I want you to just for a moment consider of the three gods that we've confronted today, food, sex, and entertainment, uh, is the battle for any one of these raging just a little more in you? And are they causing anxiety in you? Have they robbed you of your peace because you recognize the amount of care they're demanding from you? And then as you're thinking about that, we're going to sing again, Lord, give me your peace. I cast my cares. So today thinking the cares that these, these gods have caused in us, I'm casting those cares on you. And I'm asking, uh, 
let your peace rain down on me. I, I receive your peace. Would you just take a moment just to consider? For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.